1: Welcome to sound reasoning. I am your host Persis Poku. Second Timothy two and two reminds us of Paul's writing to his beloved son in the ministry and Paul writes, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And so it is for all Christians we have this universal prescriptive mandate that we ought to first of all, learn the essential doctrines of the faith and then disciple others uh, in the truth, in the healthiness, in the soundness of the doctrines. In today's culture, uh, many base their doctrine uh, off what, they've learned from other people. And sometimes those teachings may be erroneous, but as Christians, we have an obligation to forward and to deposit the historic teachings of the faith that's rooted in the truth. And when I first started my journey of learning more about the teachings of Christianity, one of the major teachings that stood out was the triunity of God. And many of us use the term Trinity. Uh, Many songs have been written about this particular doctrine. I've heard uh, many teachings on this topic, and some are consistent with the Bible, but some have been inconsistent with the scriptures. I've shared with many people about this particular doctrine, And I always begin my conversation by letting them know that it is indeed a mystery in terms of how we have one God, but yet he's revealed himself in three persons and each one of those persons are called God in the scriptures. But regardless of the inability for humans to completely digest God's relationship uh, to himself, the fact still remains, the Bible teaches us the principles of this doctrine. And so today, uh, we have a treat. I invited a special guest uh, whose book I read uh, in the early 90s, and this book is filled with great information for those that want to learn more about the doctrine of the three, of the Trinity. The book is called God in Three Persons, and the author is our special guest today, E. Calvin Beisner. Brother Beisner, how are you?
2: Well, thank you very much. I'm doing fine, Perseus, and I hope you are as well.
1: I am. We appreciate you coming on Sound Reasoning, and just for those that are listening, uh, you're also, at this point, uh, the key, one of the key spokespersons for the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. And as I was doing a little bit of reading on that particular alliance, uh, without getting sidetracked, I just want the listeners to know what you're involved in. Uh, that particular alliance uh, really uh, spend time uh, talking to others about the earth and taking care of the earth from a biblical worldview. Is that correct?
2: Yes, that is. We're a, a network of uh, a little over 65 uh, scholars, um, uh, natural scientists and economists and theologians. All of us uh, committed Christians, uh, committed to the, the authority of the Bible, uh, who work together to educate for three things uh, together. Uh, one is biblical earth stewardship, uh, what we also define as uh, dominion, godly dominion. Uh, working to enhance the fruitfulness and the beauty and the safety of the earth to the glory of God and the benefit of our neighbors, Mm. so that we're really addressing the two great commandments, to love God and to love neighbor. The second is economic development for the very poor around the world. Amen. Um, And we see that as important uh, not only for the well-being of those who are poor, uh, as they rise out of poverty, they can be healthier and live longer lives, Uh, but also for the well-being of the earth itself, because a clean, healthful, beautiful environment is a costly good, and wealthier people can afford more costly goods than poorer people can. And then third, and most important of all, is the proclamation and defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that sinners, like you and me, can be reconciled to the holy and righteous God uh, by faith in the atoning death and the victorious sacra- uh, 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 resurrection of Jesus, uh, of Jesus Christ. Uh, our, our justification, our being declared righteous by God, forgiven of our sins and, and uh, reconciled with him, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Uh, and it always results, that is the faith that uh, brings justification, always results in a transformed life, as the the Apostle James put it in his epistle. So those three things together, biblical earth stewardship, economic development for the very poor, and the gospel of Christ, are are what we seek to promote through our educational activities at CornwallAlliance.org.
1: Amen. Thank you. And that last part, we all should be able to relate to it if we confess to be Christians. So now let us transition to the topic at hand. Uh, You wrote a book some years back entitled God in Three Persons, and the subtitle uh, says, The word Trinity is not found in the Bible, but where did it come from and why do we believe it? So before uh, we touch on that, what motivated you to write a book about the doctrine of the Trinity?
2: Well, Perseus, um, actually, when I was a freshman in high school, I was discipled by some staff members of Campus Crusade for Christ, And they taught me how to just walk up to somebody in cold turkey, uh, (laughs) witness to him, you know, tell him the gospel. Right. And the first time I ever tried that, I I walked up to this fellow student of mine on my high school campus, and I started witnessing to him, and he turned out to be a Jehovah's Witness. Uh Uh-oh. Jehovah's Witnesses deny the doctrine of the Trinity. That's right. They deny the deity of Christ. And I found all at once that he was witnessing to me. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I knew that I believed in the doctrine of the Trinity, but I really didn't know at that point very much why Mm. I believed in it. I was a young Christian. Mm. Uh, I had never been taught about this. But I had a sister who was working in a Christian bookstore. And so right away I went to that Christian bookstore and I said, hey, what what, what do you have that can help me out with this? And uh, I I first read Walter Martin's book, uh, The Kingdom of the Cults, which helped me out with this, and then I read other books on the history of the doctrine of the Trinity and on the biblical basis for it and the like. And it just became, uh, for me, one of the most fascinating things in all of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I continued uh, studying that doctrine for uh, years to come, and there are a variety of different uh, religious organizations that that deny it in different ways. Right. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, deny the deity of Christ. Uh, the Oneness Pentecostals uh, deny the personal distinction of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, the Unitarians uh, deny the deity of Christ. And... Uh, and the distinct personality of the Holy Spirit, and, and so on. Uh, but I I just became fascinated with how to answer their arguments out of the Bible. And actually, I wound up uh, doing my senior thesis at the University of Southern California on this topic, and that senior thesis is what turned out to be the book, God in Three Persons, that you're uh, talking about right now.
1: Excellent. Uh, it was a great benefit to myself, uh I'm really glad for that. Thank you for uh, allowing God to use you to uh, pen it, and I love the way that you uh, write it in its simplicity as well as a scholarship, so I really appreciate it. So my second question is, uh, and that goes back to the title, subtitle of the book, since the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, where did it come from?
2: Well, the earliest known use of uh, a word that we translate as Trinity uh, by a Christian theologian was by the second century theologian uh, Theophilus of Antioch. And it was in a letter that he wrote to someone named Autolycus. And in it, he described the first three days of creation as sort of um, Representative or typological of the three persons of the Triados—Father, Son, and Holy Spirit—and Triados was the Greek word uh, that later uh, was translated into Latin as Trinitas, uh, and so that's where where we first find the word used by a Christian theologian. Um, of course, you know this is simply a matter of a label, uh, a you know a, a term. Being applied to a teaching, the substance of which is in the scriptures. And the fact that the term Trinity is never used in the Bible doesn't mean that the doctrine doesn't appear in the Bible, uh, because the doctrine itself certainly does. Uh, And I I think we'll, I'm sure that we'll get into that uh, more as we go on in the interview.
1: So that takes me to my next question. Uh, Great transition. Please define the doctrine of the Trinity for my listeners and uh, those that may not have a good grasp of what the uh, biblical teachings are.
2: Well, I'm really glad that you asked that because, uh, frankly, through the history of theology, there have been all sorts of different uh, Ways of stating the definition of the doctrine of the Trinity, and many of them get very, very technical and and highly philosophical right. and that's that 's not a problem necessarily, but I think the simplicity of the doctrine often gets uh, gets masked by those highly technical definitions and My favorite statement of the doctrine of the Trinity really is is by a a great uh, Presbyterian theologian of the late 19th century, early 20th century, by the name of Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield. And it's in an article on the Doctrine of the Trinity that was published in the first edition of the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. And there he said, and I, I like this definition so much that even though I first memorized it about 45 years ago, I still have it memorized after all (laughs) those years. He said, When we we have said these three things, therefore, that there is but one God, that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is each God, and that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are each distinct persons, we have enunciated the doctrine of the Trinity in its completeness. Now, I think that's really clear. There's one God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is each God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is are, are each distinct persons. And uh, that's really the whole doctrine of the Trinity. Now, you can get into all kinds of interesting philosophical questions about exactly how it is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relate to each other. And you can get into some pretty technical terminology in all of this. But that, that definition really states that, pretty succinctly, and when we do it that way, we can find pretty quickly and easily how it is that the Scriptures support that definition.
1: Great. Thank you for that. Now, my next question deals with that word persons. What does that convey when we say uh, God in three persons?
2: Well, uh, the the term person uh, in, in, in English, we usually use it to refer to uh, someone who has uh, uh, intellect and emotions and will, or what I also call uh, cognition, volition, and affection. Um, in, in early Greek and Latin uh, usage uh, that was used by the early church fathers, uh, there were a number of different terms that got used. Uh, in Greek, for instance, uh, the word prosopon, which uh, initially just simply meant face, uh, sometimes it could even mean mask—the mask that an actor would wear in playing a role in a play. Uh, that was one term sometimes used. Uh, also, the term hypostasis, uh, which we which we find in the uh, in a later theological phrase, hypostatic mm-hmm. union. Uh, dealing with the union of two natures, divine and human, in the one person of Christ. Uh, that, so hypostatic union refers to the personal union of those two natures in Christ. Uh, that sometimes was used in a way to refer to uh, a person. Uh, but what we really find in the early church is that the, the, the early theologians recognized that the Bible spoke of the Father as God, and it spoke of the Son as God, and it spoke of the Holy Spirit as God, and yet it recognized that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit had relationships with each other that are very much like the relationships that uh, that you and I have with each other. That is, they know each other they love each other. They speak to each other. Uh, one can send another. Uh, one can do the will of another, and so on. And so, uh, they, frankly, they they, uh, they struggled for a while trying to figure out what kind of terminology to use for this. And, and frankly, the definition of words is is uh, is determined over time in a given community, a given culture, by their usage, uh, by how they're used. And so ultimately, the early Church Fathers agreed that they would use the word uh, person, uh, the Latin persona, and the word substance, uh, or the Latin substantia, and the Greek word for person, prosopon, and the Greek word for substance, hypostasis, But they would use these intentionally in a way that emphasized the fact that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, while they are of the same substance, that is, (laughs) God, they are the spiritual substance of God, each one of them fully and completely. Nonetheless, they're distinct from each other so that we can have, for instance, Jesus praying to the Father, not my will but yours be done. Uh, or the Father saying to the Son, You are my Son this day I have begotten you. Or uh, we can have Jesus saying, I will pray to the Father and he will send to you the Holy Spirit. So all of these things indicate that there is distinction among Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And at the same time, we also read in the Scriptures that the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Spirit is God.
1: Thank you for... Uh, unpackaging that for us. Um, my next question deals with um, if you can just give us a, a abbreviated uh, version of some of the most common misconceptions uh, that we find dealing with the Trinity.
2: Yeah, misconceptions are pretty pretty common. Uh, one misconception is that uh, The Trinity really involves three gods, as if uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were separate gods. Uh, Muslims tend to think that Christians think this way. And actually, for Muslims, uh, they think that the Christian Trinity is the Father and uh, Mary and uh, Jesus, rather than the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, That's because they encountered a, a heretical offshoot of Christianity, uh, Muhammad did early in his life, and so he got that heretical understanding of a Christian understanding of the Trinity instead of the the Orthodox one. So, you know, the the three gods idea is one uh, misconception. Uh, Another misconception is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are parts of God, but uh, uh, if that were the case, none of them would be God because the part and the whole are not the same thing. Uh, but the scriptures clearly speak of the Father as God. Jesus says in John 17:3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. And uh, the Son is God. In John 1, 1, we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, not a part of God. And in 2 Corinthians 3.17, uh, we read that uh, the Spirit is the Lord, and there the Lord is uh, substituting for a term in the Old Testament under which the Hebrew was Yahweh, the right. divine name, the name of God. And so, uh, you know, clearly Father, Son, and Spirit are not parts of God. Each is fully God. Another misconception is uh, what we call modalism, or the idea that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are simply different, different roles, different modes in which God relates to his creation. And uh, this is uh, the, the heresy taught by the oneness or modalist Pentecostals. It was taught in the early church by, uh, by Sibelius uh, and a number of others, Noetus and a couple of others, and this, this denies the personal distinction of father and son. Uh, the idea here is that, well, you know, as, as I am a father and a son and a brother, well, so God is father and son and Holy Spirit. Those are distinct roles that God plays in relationship to his creation. The problem with that is precisely what I mentioned before, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relate to each other in ways that make the distinctions clear. Jesus says, I will pray to the Father, not to myself, and He, the Father, will send the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are clearly distinct. Another misconception is the idea that uh, uh, God the Father is really God and Jesus, the Son, is his first created thing, right. and the Holy Spirit is the power of God, uh, not actually personal. This is the idea that Jehovah's Witnesses teach. So those are a few misconceptions, uh, and and uh, there, are, there are others, there are many, Right. Uh, but if we go back to Warfield's way of putting it, I think that really clarifies it very nicely. Uh, When we have said these three things, therefore, that there is but one God, that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is each God, and that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are each distinct persons, we have enunciated the doctrine of the Trinity in its
1: completeness. Amen. Brother Beisner, we really appreciate you coming on Sound Reasoning and unpackaging the doctrine of the Trinity for us. And believe it or not... You're very welcome. Glad to do it. Our time is up, but while listeners, again... Uh, His book is God in Three Persons, E. Calvin Beisner, and um, you can get it for your library and please get it for your study. And we thank you so much. We will be in touch, God willing, and thank you for all that you do for kingdom building.
0: That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1-9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy messages has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Hey there, it's Carly Mercoulier, host of Therapy and Theology, a weekly podcast that explores popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.